and welcome to Great Quarter Guys, episode 12, here January the 21st of 2020. And today we're going to talk about XPO and their big announcement uh, last week about possible breaking up and kind of auctioning off uh, different business segments. Uh, Again, my name is Kevin Hill. And this is Andrew Cox over here in his normal spot. And today we have the director of passport research here at Freight Waves, JP John Paul Hampstead. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. You, you bet, JP. You bet. So JP's group in uh, Passport, they do a lot of great research that you can find uh, in Passport. Basically, yep. a new product that, that we have here at Freight Waves that's really research focused and events focused. And uh, JP can talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Um, but yeah, you, your group wrote uh, a short research piece on, I guess it wasn't short, it was one of the longer pieces. Yeah, it was uh, really long quickly for us. last Yeah, really quickly la- last week, what, last Thursday? Yeah. We- about uh, XPO's announcement, and I will let you give us the backstory on it. Yeah, well, it was it was more than just my group, it was, it was a Really cool team effort with uh, the Freight Intel Research Group and Passport. Uh, Andrew was, was on the report as well, and Seth Holm. Um, but basically, it was a reaction to uh, XPO CEO Brad Jacobs' announcement that they were going to do some strategic divestment of some of the business lines and basically try to make sure that the business was being properly valued by <clears throat> the public markets. And so we kind of, you know, we created a timeline of all of the different uh, acquisitions that XBO had done. I think 17 in about what, four years, something like yeah, that. Three 40, years, 40, 41 months. months. Yeah. yeah, 41 um, months. 17 acquisitions um, and everything from. And most you know, of those started out as, as small brokerages. Yeah. You know, basically $20, 30000000 million of, of gross revenues a year. And I think they started off XPO uh, whenever he bought the, the original XPO had about $150 million in gross revenue. And he started rolling up small freight brokerages uh, in the beginning. So a lot of those early uh, acquisitions were, you know, anywhere up to, I, th- I think, the, the largest. You know, in the early days, maybe a hundred million dollars of gross revenue, and they they kind of kind of staircased up. Yeah, and eventually they started diversifying into different service offerings. So they got into, uh, you know, international freight forwarding. They got into intermodal. They got into final mile. Final mile. That's right. They got it, and then then of course with the Conway acquisition, they got in. They became one of the major LTL carriers in the country. That had assets at that point. Yeah. and, and so, Which was a double-edged sword. And that is um, actually one of the most interesting parts about the this about face on the part of Jacobs and his management team is that the original originally what they told investors was that they were going to roll up the non-asset logistics space, which, of course, um, you know, commanded higher multiples, than uh, you know, trucking companies uh, were, were considered to be uh, slightly more defensively positioned uh, mm-hmm. because they could take advantage of downturns in the freight cycles by exploiting the spread between contract and spot prices, things like that. But he ends up buying Conway and now is talking about potentially divesting everything except North American LTL. Wants to become a pure play LTL carrier. So it's a really fascinating story about how a strategy is kind of shifting um, in response to the, the market's uh, re- reception. Yeah, so it, it is very interesting, right? He's going to keep the LTL business. That's the one thing that's not for sale. Everything else is for sale. And this came uh, at the end of the markets on late Wednesday afternoon, last Wednesday afternoon, uh, where he went on Jim Cramer, did a press release, went on Jim, Jim Cramer. And at that point, you know, that the stock had been kind of beaten down earlier this year, more than kind of beaten down. It was really beaten down. It was down in the 40s. Uh, they had a, a huge acquisition that was in play earlier, you know, in very early 2019 that was supposed to, the rumor was, it was supposed to have doubled the size of XPO. And that got squashed right. with a short seller report. And the short seller report uh, had them 
going to zero, mm-hmm. kind of like a Herbalife s uh, type of not a good report. It, it was a horrible report. Um, so the they were written of, down the sense of low quality. It was not a yeah, no, it was a low quality. Short it was it was it was kind of very not 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 any evidence. It was more of a uh, of almost slanderous, yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. And so they had a lot of accusations without any evidence backed up. So they're in the forties. Uh, they've climbed all summer long from 40 to about 80. Then we have Wednesday afternoon where they went up 20% after market. Yeah. So basically once he, once he was on Jim Cramer, the press release came out, the breakup was in, in, in play 20% and they're still in the, the, the nineties. So the stock's still in the nineties right now. And tell us about the valuation that that passport and Seth home put on XPO stock with this news. Yeah. So what we did was we kind of looked at, or yeah, especially what Seth did, I should say, is he looked at all of the different constituent businesses in XPO and then looked at how peer or comparable yeah. companies were valued by the market. And, and so we have LTL. Yeah. We have freight brokerage or 3PL. Yeah. And then we have Asia, an Asian business of what contract logistics and, so, and, and, and European, European contract well. logistics as well. So those are the four primary business entities or right. business segments within XPO, right? And then if you kind of if then there's different ways of looking at it, but essentially, you know, if if they can get the value for those businesses, you, know, you so some of the parts, right? Right, some of the parts. So yeah. so Seth said his that the company should be worth 124 dollars a share. Um, and I think, you know, I, we got some notes um, earlier this week, mm-hmm. uh, basically from different, um, you know, sort of uh, research analysts, and that seems to be kind of in the ballpark of what a lot of people are thinking. I think um, Deutsche Bank uh, said that XBO could be worth one hundred twenty-five dollars a share, so you know, basically the same thing. Um, so it's pretty interesting. It was great work on uh, by Seth, and I think it really anticipated. Um, he actually got ahead of where a lot of the analysts were and they ended up kind of raising their targets to, to, to catch up. So that was really cool. Um, the other kind of thing we looked at where, where, okay, you know, our operating assumption in this research report is that Brad Jacobs views his main value add to a company as the CEO, as his expertise in doing deals. So we assume that like he is, you know, spinning off parts of XPO in order to get back to a position where he can do accretive deals that make financial sense. And so we kind of looked at like what would be some, you know, suitable targets for, uh, you know, so Brad Jacobs says deals. Yeah. Are okay. you saying that he does deals? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In case you didn't know, uh, yeah, he's really going to do deals. Like well, he deals. rolled up the uh, equipment rental, heavy equipment rental, uh, industry, Right, United uh, Rental. United Rental, and then I, I forget the name of the waste management uh, or, or the waste business uh, company that he that he rolled up that space and sold it to waste management. Yeah, uh, yep. before he jumped into to freight brokerage and rolled up that industry into. Uh, I, I think the market cap before market cap as of today is about eight point six five billion dollars. Yeah. Enterprise value of just short of sixteen billion dollars. So, from a hundred and fifty million dollar gross revenue brokerage to uh, a company with a market cap of of just over you know eight and a half billion dollars in what seven years? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this he, he kind of does M and A a little bit. Kind of buys out. What, uh, what are your thoughts, Andrew? So, well, <clears throat> you know, Kramer kind of prodded. Um, Product Jacobs on the show to to uh, to kind of force the question that he thinks that there's one there's been a bigger player out there that has offered him uh, something for the entire company and that, that has given them some confidence to know that there's going to be healthy buyers in the market uh, and that's why he kind of feels confident in his decision to auction off uh, these parts. You know, he he was he was very uh, uh, he was very confident to say that yes he thinks there'll be healthy buyers but he was also uh, he didn't say that Amazon had offered him money uh, but. You know, that's kind of the rumor going out that Amazon had made a made an offer for the whole thing. I, I think this guy Nexus. I don't know if you wrote that article on Freight Waves last year or maybe the year before. Uh, the years are getting away from me th- these days. But was it Home Depot should buy yeah, XPO? Yeah, am I remembering correctly? Th- there was a rumor that um spiked XPO stock price like ten percent a day um, a couple of years back. 
when there were rumors that Home Depot would buy it. Yeah, that's that was I, I wrote that article. Um, it would be so ironic though if Amazon, you know, with, who you know pulled all of the postal injection business from XPO um, at the end of 2018, six hundred million dollars worth would if they were could be ultimately responsible for pumping the the stock price back up by by making knives with Brad Jacobs and, and you know buying all these businesses from that I don't know if that that would happen but it's I find that hilarious and kind yeah, of yeah, hell of a story. Yeah and that's uh, something that the, our friends over at Carry Direct were, were very interested in kind of along those the, that that same theme and they did some research for us about and, and really throughout the question of uh, you know is this kind of a a little bit of an arms race with big retailers who are taking control of their transportation like like Amazon is doing and might be doing maybe with bidding on XPO or maybe there's there's some other bidders out there that that there could be a bidding war maybe you know should we say Walmart could Wal- get into the mix Target Wal- who knows i mean i think Walmart is sort of the original retailer that did insource its transportation right so they, they, they largely did, yes. do control the, the you know the, the, about 90% of their their transportation the, user in house true on on the wholesale side right so so basically oh, going from vendors to uh v- vend- full truckload vendors to DCs back to DCs but on the front end on really the e-commerce side right. the last mile the maybe the LTL side uh that they really are still i think in the the the, the first few innings interesting yeah, that's that's definitely something to think about. Also, we've heard that you know there could be private equity buyers who are interested in taking some of these businesses. And I think the freight brokerage is the freight brokerage side. Of, that's right. That's is, right. is a private equity play, right? Because yeah. private equity is is really heavy into the you know three PL freight brokerage industry. As we saw, uh, it was a um, Nolan Transportation Group bought. Uh, Eagle Transportation in yep. Hattiesburg, Mississippi this week, and you just see private equity that was, deals that was a pretty, after private that was a equity pretty, deals. pretty uh, big deal, I imagine. I mean, well, it's going to put them over a billion dollars, probably, or yeah. just right at the edge of a, a billion dollar brokerage now for, uh, for for Nolan Transportation. Right, and so, and you think about other other roll ups like uh, like Global Trans, which is like a huge conglomerate of, and they just did brokerages. a deal this week, this this past week, right? Yeah, in the last did. few days. I didn't yeah. I didn't see the details of that, but I did see the see the news. Yeah, they they, they did a do. You, Andrew, do you, did you remember? No, who I haven't they seen bought? the details on that one. No, I, uh, I, I did, and it's escaping me right now. But I know Global Trans uh, did a deal. I don't know if it was LTL. Yeah, lo- look it up. And again, we're live here, live streaming on LinkedIn, Twitter. YouTube. So if you have any questions, especially on LinkedIn, we have it up right here. So you can just shoot those over to us and we'll, we'll answer it live on air. So Jacobs has already done a lot of the work for the private equity company. It seems like, you know, if you wanted to go ahead and come in, at, you know, with a big deal, have a platform ready company, you've got some technology, you've got, you know, some, at least, you know, some integration and a lot of uh, experienced executives if that's what you're looking for and, and you, you want to, uh, a platform for additional bolt-ons, it makes sense. Um, and as far as, you know, last mile, I think M&A and tech is still really strong in that, in that sector. Um, so I think it's going to be really, I, I, you know, I don't think that he would have announced all of this. He doesn't want to disappoint. He doesn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So I do think that we're going to see some of these, uh, Deals close. I, I, I think this is going to close. This is going to be a story that just like keeps on giving for. I would estimate the next year at least. Right. We always do an over and under at the end of the episode, but let's uh, throughout this uh, not over and under. Uh, long short. Long short. Yeah, we would yeah. do a long short, uh, and we'll do that later in the episode. But right here, here's a long short. Does this does this breakup happen or it doesn't? Are you long short it? Long. I'm very long. Yeah. I, I am very I long, too. He's got, you know, he, he's got a history of making acquisitions. I think he understands deal making. He'll make this happen. Uh, and I'd even be long that they make an acquisition in 2020 after they get some of these spinoffs going. I would be long on that, too. I, 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 I would. I mean, because think about how much money, how much cash they can uh, create with the sale of these. Uh, you know, once you break up the, a lot of these businesses, you're going to get a higher multiple on the on the markets than you do as, a, as the company as a whole. So if they sell a couple of these off, they can easily raise, you know, upwards of $10 million, $10 billion. They can pay down all their cash and still have uh, paid on all their debt and debt, still have yeah. cash to spend uh, at the end of the year. So. Yeah, so basically let's, let's jump into the multiples because I don't think we've, we've talked really about the multiples. 
Uh, you take Old Dominion, the the the, the gold uh, standard of, yeah. of LTL. They trade at what eighteen times is the EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Yep. So eighteen times the EBITDA. Uh, XPO has been trading at eight to nine times EBITDA. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's basically such a low EBITDA uh, multiple that, especially in the 50s and 60s, when their stock was hanging out there, it valued the um, the logistics business or the North American, you know, freight brokerage uh, at zero, right? Which was just a, a complete and utter undervaluation. So they're breaking this up to become a pure play LTL to go after the multiple of. Old Dominion or, or maybe close to it. So if they can go from 8, 9 to a 13, 14, 15, they're going to double the value of the, of the LTL. And as we said, they're going to have cash to, yeah, to start rolling up again. Sheet. Yeah, you know, they'll have a lot of cash. And that's really what it will take to compete with Old Dominion. I know that we've we've covered them on a you know business model breakdown on this program before, but mm-hmm. they really depend on having a great it's kind of like the snowball or a flywheel right it's like you have you have a very dense network with great service which means you can charge more which means you're throwing off more cash which means you're invet you can invest twice as much in capital expenditures as your peers which means that you ha- always have mm-hmm. more facilities and more trailers which means you give it our service which means you charge you know so it, it snowballs like that and i think um if if uh, XPO can slim itself down and have a lot of cash to throw into more facilities and more trailers, get that get that tractor to trailer ratio up where they really get some fluidity. Um, you know, that's I think that's what they're going to. I mean, if if you're looking at the only hundred bagger I can think of, you know, in transportation recently is Old Dominion. Old Dominion, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, so if you take passport research, the, the research uh, report that that you did. Uh, last week, and we, we crawl into uh, basically the, the, the multiples and, and the breakup and the valuation, right? We, we go back to the valuation. Uh, the three other business segments, what number did we put on that roughly? Uh, I've got it right here. So LTL, okay, uh, base of 11, mm-hmm. uh, North American transportation minus the LTL uh, with a with a 12 multiple, a base multiple. Uh, logistics, I guess that's the European logistics at a... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. That's not. Do we have a dollar be, valuation? Yeah, we do. Uh, we've got a we've got an enterprise value uh, c- currently uh, with all those at 18. Um, okay. And then market and this could if, if they end up selling some of these off, get get to a market cap of near 14. Uh, currently okay. sitting at you know almost so, double. So if they sold over, uh, if they sold off the other three segments, that would give them uh, how much in cash? Did we do that? We, we didn't it do like exact around number, 10 but billion, it should right? be somewhere near 10 billion. Yeah. Right. So we can agree on that. About 10 billion. So and they have about 4.5 billion. In long-term debt. Correct. So let's assume that they just pay off the debt. Mm-hmm. The debt-free. Five and a half billion in cash. Five and a half billion in cash. What's the next move? Um, there's a lot of... What are the LTL? What's, what's the most uh, the most interesting two or three uh, LTL companies out there that well, will move the needle? Right. So uh, Take them from number three, maybe the number two largest LTL carrier in North America. Okay, well, there's two that are very interesting, which are, I think, special cases. One, one is FedEx Freight and one is SIA. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you're looking at Averitt, you're looking at Southeastern. Uh, who, who, who else is on the list? Uh, Central Freight Lanes, uh, Central Freight Lines, excuse me, uh, Exact, Transport, Carolina Logistics, all pretty much regional players, uh, and Southwestern Motor Transport. These are smaller guys. Uh, but yeah, the SIA makes, I think SIA makes a little bit of sense. It's, we've got 5,000 trucks. Uh, that's it's they they have plenty of cash to be able to, to buy them uh, once they spend some of these uh, entities off, but that would be a big move. I mean, that would it, it would. Do you think that it would require too much of a premium to to make sense? Because it's a young, it's like the youngest, fastest growing LTL right. public right. LTL company out there. It's hard for it's. I, I think it's a little too early to sell Sia. Like if I would, if I owned Sia, I don't know if I would want to sell right mm-hmm. now. So you have all these big players, and then I think we identified uh, at least five or six hundred smaller, maybe twenty, thirty, a hundred truck, really regional focused niche business uh, LTL companies out there that that fly under the radar. So do we start seeing like that small roll up a little bit? Yeah, you might you know, see just- plenty of cash to go out and make twenty, thirty million dollar acquisitions. 
uh, as they did so in the early days. The, the, yeah, they it's repeat, almost they, repeat they can, the same, and then step size their way up to. I kind of think yeah. that's what they would do, just you know, in terms of getting some wins on their belt, uh, practicing, you know, the the difficult feat of integrating um, LTL carriers that are have different networks, different customers, different, take, different taking, commodities. T- taking probably those legacy underperforming technology systems from the, the smaller regional players and upgrading them into the XPO you know, technology yeah, platform that is going to be far superior probably. And the thing about, the thing about LTL that makes it so different from, from truckload is that it really requires much more physical infrastructure, much more like cross docks, much more mm-hmm. consolidation and deconsolidation, scheduling of the, you know, cutting trucks at certain times and at certain, you know, volumes and things like that. Um, and I would assume that that makes it harder to integrate acquisitions. And so I think they, they probably need to get some practice under their belt. I wouldn't be surprised if they start off small and just kind of start snapping these things up at a pretty regular clip until, you know, they get enough stuff where they can pause, figure it out, and then maybe go after kind of an elephant size um, LTL carrier. You made, good, you made a good point about their technology because that, that's something we also haven't really touched on yet. That they have industry-leading tech and, and brokerage and uh, across all their platforms. So it's what, what about the idea that if they sell the assets of the companies but hold on to some of the rights of the tech and license it out? What, do you see them thinking about that, or uh, and what would be the value in them doing so? If licensing out the tech, yes, rather than selling the rights, rather than selling it altogether. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's a uh, bought, it's a recurring revenue right. model. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. You basically, you, you sell, it's almost like a, it's not really a franchise, but it has some of the qualities of franchise, right? Because you're going to have your independent business that's going to be a huge uh, brokerage, but you're going to, instead of worrying about technology, you're just going to, to basically lease it from XPO. Just to push back on that for a second, though, um, I mean, first of all, how hard is brokerage technology to come by right now? Um, how many, well, how like the off-the-shelf software has gotten really good. Uh, even even the companies that you can pay to build your customer portals and your carrier portals and create your private load boards and automate all that stuff, has got, it's gotten pretty easy to outsource that as well. So it's just like, I wonder like how how... But if you're using the XPO technology, it's you've already got it in place off the shelf. Why re- recreate it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, right? I just wonder. Like, I I could see from a buy, you know, a buyer like, okay, whatever. Like, XPO is one of the, the five different things I can buy. But like, you know, in, term, in terms there. of like differentiating XPO, like, basically, like, is is their technology how long? For how much longer is it going to be industry leading? And is and it's a very competitive, crowded space. I just wonder, like, you how, bring much, up a how, good much point. how much difference that really will. You would bring make up a the, good point because you know how how aggressively they're going to update their their brokerage technology if they don't have the brokerage anymore. Correct. Yeah. In, in a in a in a very VC uh, equipped industry that's coming in, money's piling in. Has been well, right. it's been slowing down, but over the past few years, money's yeah, been flowing yeah. into uh, into digitization and tech and. Uh, well, let's, space. well, let's circle back to the Carrier Direct's kind of question and, and research angle this week, right? Okay. Yeah. Big retailers, are, are they looking to control more of their transportation? Is this going to be a little bit of an arms race going forward? Well, I think they've just, everybody's seen Amazon, and, and though Amazon, maybe if we've talked about them last week, that they've maybe have taken a couple steps back, that they've kind of uh, almost overcommitted and, uh, you know, and under, under, uh, underproduced on their on their logistics of the last you know few quarters i think that they've put pressure on everyone else to to take control um of their go ahead of their transportation well let's do this scenario let's say amazon does buy let's say say the brokerage and maybe all three units except for the ltl part right amazon buys it how does everyone else react to that i think it goes in one of two ways uh either you go like the managed transportation route and you partner with a very large, sophisticated provider that can really solve a lot of problems for you to work closely with you and go and consult with your suppliers upstream and stuff like that. Or you start insourcing your transportation yourself and just building out those capabilities. What you don't want to be stuck with in that kind of a situation is 
a sort of less than reliable broker that's giving loads back when things get hard. True. Like, those are the kind of people that get like squeezed out, I think, in, in this kind of scenario. Sure. But, but as we go into e-commerce, right? I mean, so basically if, if Amazon owns XPOs, I, I'm going to shift it a little bit. They're their final mile segment, which is one of the most mature final mile e-commerce kind of delivery platforms out there. What do retailers do? Yeah, well, uh, so we're shifting and focus. Let's everything say that from they, Walmart they have to, to Home Depot, all of XBO, because their their last mile divisions in their LTL. So they're not, I don't think they're looking to sell their last. Oh, that's mile. right. That it, thank you for catching that. Um, but I mean, if, if Amazon were to realistically, if, if Amazon were to own that LTL, I mean, XBO Kramer called it one of the you know one of the best pure play uh, e-commerce plays that you can have for logistics. People have gone have gone mad over their um, their roll up in e-commerce. So I. I'd, I don't know how people would react. I think that they would they they would initially be a little bit scared. I mean, if, if Amazon's not only owning forty percent of the online uh, retail industry, mm-hmm. but they're also delivering even a higher percentage of that to other people's um, goods, uh, <laughs> it's pretty scary. It is. Any any thoughts on that? It's interesting. I mean, I just you know I think as e-commerce grows and as the demand for final mile delivery services that are cheap and flexible and fast grows. What I'm kind of interested in is like the next frontier of freight brokers. Like, when are we going to get brokers who broker like final mile capacity? Like saying like, oh, like, uh, oh, I can have a van stop by and just like make deliveries like on this route for this week or whatever, you know, things like that. Like, I wonder if that or if that'll be digitized in some way. Like, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of capacity. There's going to be a lot of demand. It's 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 quite. unpredictable you know then that's that's the whole issue with like ups and fedex is like you don't have you know your your vehicle is losing revenue you know it's 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 shedding revenue producing freight the entire route not picking anything up it's always an irregular route um that can't be sort of like optimized each day so i just wonder like how do we make that more efficient do intermediaries jump in there and what does that marketplace look like you know, I, I've never really understood as, – as a freight broker, I, I never really understood how you can make money off of e-commerce or, or final mile just because anything with – the the shorter the distance, the, the less margin that's available, right? Because it's going to be at a lower, lower price. So right. you get from the, the $1,500 loads down to the $500 loads. You might make 50 bucks, and then something's going to go wrong, right? Your truck's going to get stuck picking up or delivering. They're going to want detention. You're going back to your cut. And it's just like, you know, I did all this for $50. Why? You know? So e-commerce, I've always done that, but I always brokered like heavy loads and and flatbed. So it's it's like a foreign universe to me on on that. So on the business model, I'm not really sure if if brokers maybe manage manage transportation for PLs. Can, can get in there, but your regular, you know, freight brokerages, I, I just don't. Yeah, know. and it's I so di- it's and LTL is, uh, you know, LTL and Final Mile are so difficult because there's so many different types of items that have to come in, and a lot of them need installation, like whether it be cabinets or a, a refrigerator or a, a anything really. Well, that's that, fastest growing segment, right? Yeah, it's or appliances. Segment, but, you know, it's yeah, it's also re- you have to have have you have to have people delivery people that know how to install things that aren't going to screw it up the first time and have to send somebody back out. You know, that's. And that's not always the case because, especially different appliances, they don't know how to hook them up. So I, well, you have it's to have difficult. A, yeah, you have to have a very and it's a highly it's a more highly skilled worker than just a delivery driver. So mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of uh, yeah. You have to have different skills, impediments. You have to have the driving, and then you have to have the mechanical background yeah. to install an oven. Right, and then right. you have to you have, you have to take to their certified. You have to take the old oven out. You have to have a way to dispose yeah. of it. Which I mean, I don't even know how to do. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of a mystery to me, and, and finding all of those all of those talents and being you know customer service focused too, because you're going into people's homes, and you have to to represent it's you know it's a little bit different skill set. It's more skill sets than just strictly driving. You have to to be able to do a That's few cool. different things. So, but so I mean, it, one could imagine like it you know five years from now. Um, when you order some, when you order like a new suite of kitchen appliances from Samsung or Whirlpool or whatever, that some you know a nice uniformed person comes in with this very you know polished customer experience, 
and installs everything, takes it all away. It's very easy. It's very simple. It's, it doesn't make you feel weird that this guy's in your house or whatever. And they actually charge for it and, and they charge a decent amount of money for it. Um, and people are willing to pay for it because of how seamless and pain free um, and you know, pleasant the experience is. I don't know. Like, I don't think we're there yet. Well, but good luck scaling that talent pool with uh, what three point five percent unemployment. Right, right. You yeah. you're basically getting anyone who can um, come in and and yeah. do, and then that goes not just for drivers or final mile people. That kind of goes all, for, all, it's all, all man, employment. Right, it's all manual labor jobs. I mean, my I was talking to my dad. Uh, the other day, who's in concrete construction, he's talking about paying um, like guys who tie rebar like twenty five bucks an hour, um, which is what, a lot more than I got paid when I had to do it for. Yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> I, I saw in the Wall Street Journal maybe uh, last week or the week before that they're they're offering for manufacturing jobs. They're they're now offering even hourly, maybe twelve fifteen dollar an hour, uh, you know, manufacturing jobs. They are offering relocation expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to to relocate, and that's you know it kind of goes into that that undersupply of labor. Uh, we have a comment from Riley M on uh, on LinkedIn, and she asks, "Now is XBO a Canadian company? I'm not sure where she's getting the. You guys might have an answer. No, no, it's, no. It's based in uh, I think Connecticut, the headquarters Greenwich, is Greenwich, Connecticut, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is hedge fund land, hedge private fund. equity land." Right, it's a essentially a suburb of New York City where a lot of wealthy finance types live. I, I think it's the number one or number two richest county of America in America is, yeah. is the county that that Greenwich is is in. If you have ever been up there, it's a lot of um, a lot of uh, pastels and <laughs> and basically a lot of uh, old money or, Mar- or money people, Mar- Martha's Vineyard and, and and things like that. So it's an interesting scene. Beautiful up there, though. But yeah, they're they're a U.S. based company. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Thanks, uh, Riley, though, for the, the the question. Yes, thank you. So, um, but yeah, back to um, the relocation costs. I did a little bit of that on Freightwaves. Now we talked with Anthony about it. Uh, I saw the Caterpillar was offering five grand, up to five grand to move uh, seventy five miles, which is just unbelievable. I know, right? Uh, we had a, you had a, a Raytheon, I think it was, that was offering up to five thousand dollars to move for a seventeen dollar per hour mm-hmm. um, factory operator job. So. You can wow. see that, and this is at a time where manufacturing and industrials are in a are in a recession. So it's just really ill timed for them to be having this uh, labor talent war and having to. I know. Imagine that things. you're you're basically we're in an industrial uh, contraction or a recession, mild recession, and you still can't find the talent you need. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta spend thousands. That's to get wild. And a lot of these places yeah. are, are kind of rural places too, right? So you don't have this huge talent pool to to draw off of. Mm-hmm. Right, and, th- and those companies also b- both have a lot of global exposure. I know CAD does a lot of sales in Asia. I know the Raytheon is part, essentially makes missiles for like the UK, mm-hmm. Australia, Canada, as well as the US. But still, it's that that is wild. I mean, imagine what what it would be like if the if the economy was growing at three percent. Like how how squeezed they would be for people right now. I know, right. I know. So I think that's uh, that wraps it up for the XPO segment. Thanks again to Carrier Direct for doing a lot of this research uh, for us. Even though you know JP did it, did uh, a lot of it on the passport. The the other questions that we kind of dug into were uh, were helped by us by our, our friends at Carrier Direct. So shout out to, to Peter and Ryan and, and Diane and JP. Can you give us a little bit of what passport is? Yeah, so uh, Passport is the way that our most engaged audience members um, get access to discounted event tickets, as well as exclusive events and um, continuing education seminars and private events, as well as um, our our great research products. Great research. Phenomenal research products, right? We we do weekly reports on trucking markets, intermodal markets, and we do a special topic each week that comes out on Fridays. So you're talking, you know, 150 plus reports a year that you guys get. Um, I think the individual memberships start at $2,500. You get, and along with that, so you get for the $2,500 membership, you get like two tickets to any of our events you want. Yep. Plus all the research, plus all the continuing ed stuff. It's just a really cool way to, um, again, b- you know, b- lean into the community, 
the brand and get access to all of our best stuff. And you not only get passport research, but you get research from the Freight Intel Group, right. which is longer form, white paper, right. uh, kind of a lot of survey studies that, that we do on there. And so you, so that's a, another added bonus. You get yeah, passport, and, 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 and you the, can find passport research now in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, well, no, well, so we well, discuss what our team creates content for the Wall Street Journal. We don't upload like our whole research reports. We discuss like charts and stuff are, yeah. like that and some of the sonar data. In sonar research, you can get the Passport library. Um, and then with Passport, you'll be able to get the sonar library. So it's not just like every you know couple of days you get an email. It's like you immediately get access to a huge like sort of wealth of knowledge that, that we've been building up for, for a long time now. Very good. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Okay, great. Cool, man. Thanks. Very cool. So let's talk about... Yeah, let's jump into uh, Tis the Season. It's the earnings tis season. The, this is the earnings season. Yeah. You want to stick around for earnings season? Yeah. You can stick around the whole time. I wasn't kicking you out. Oh, no, okay. I, was, I was hoping. I was, I was like, you are going to leave. Thought, no, like, I thought... Uh, you know? Sorry, I thought I was just here to talk about SBO, but... <laughs> no, let's, let's, no, let's, let's talk about earnings. Oh, All right, fun. earnings. I'm always down to talk earnings. <laughs> uh, okay, so we covered JB Hunt last week. Kevin and I sat down uh, for the freight update, talked a little bit about... Uh, you know, not a great quarter for for JB Hunt, but some bright spots in there, uh, including Dedicated. Dedicated was uh, was up uh, pretty big, up sixty million uh, in revenues um, on the back of the Corey uh, first choice home delivery acquisition back in February. Um, but you know, in the, it's a, it's a tough news, time for there's a, cycle. Yeah, yeah. there was a silver lining though, and the, the JB Hunt for for freight brokerages out there is that. That they went from year over year margins of fourth quarter of 2018 about 16.9 percent to this year Q4 of 2019 10.6 percent, which is which is bad news for earnings. But they cited a tightness in the market that that really ran up to uh, Christmas the Christmas holidays and it has continued right. uh, through mid January, and that's something we see in Sonar as well with outbound tender rejection rates. They're still elevated uh, a little bit more than you'd see in a normal January, which is which is good news for all the freight brokers and, and trucking companies out there. Yeah, that was that was the, the one of the big takeaways for me, and we actually wrote about that in our trucking report today. Was that um, it's. I think the most notable thing about the trucking market right now is that tender rejections have stabilized at about seven and a half percent, which is above where they were for most of 2019. And yeah, it was confirmed in the JB Hunt call. I was reading the transcript earlier today. Shelly Simpson, who's the executive vice president, chief commercial officer and president of highway services said that, yeah, they're experiencing some tightness and um, it continued into the first couple weeks of January. So, I mean, I think if that, if that keeps going through January, that's a pretty positive setup and what I think would be support, eventually supportive of, of higher spa rates, although we're not seeing that right now. We're not seeing that right now. And I'd be interested for uh, some of the, the reports that will, or earnings calls that will come out this week. I think PAM Transport might be today. I think they delayed it. Uh, they were supposed to do it early this morning, release their earnings uh, probably sometime today if they haven't done it already. They have a, a, a broker segment that they report out as well, so it'd be interesting to see what they're saying. And as we we go through the next two or three weeks and get C.H. Robinson, which the the big guy out there, do you know when yeah. they report? Um, it, I'm covering it. I think it's it's in is it in February I think it's like next week. Yeah. Oh, ne- next I, week. I, so that'll sure. be there's, that'll be a, a really interesting uh, metric to see. So we'll see if this continues and and, and basically if this is a, a major theme in in earnings this. Uh, this season. The other one, other bright spot from the integrated capacity solutions uh, result, the, the brokerage division of JB Hunt, was that it does look like they are starting to get um, some interesting results from their digitization efforts. They were mm-hmm. able to grow revenue by nine percent while only growing headcount by six percent year over year. So. I mean, that's. They also had, uh, I think, eighteen percent more uh, brokerage revenue flow through three hundred and sixty um, year over year. So, and they, you know, they cited the the cost, the marketing cost, as one of the reasons for why margins got compressed. But you know, if you're going to grow the three hundred and sixty platform, you're going to have to spend money. Um, but hopefully, they they do expect those marketing costs to slow down into twenty twenty. So you, you could see a margin rebound. Yeah, and I think kind of what they do is like when when a carrier you know calls them uh, calls a broker up to, to you know to bid on a load or or, or try to get a load. The, the broker will basically say like, hey, I'll help you out on this rate if you book it through 360. And then the bet is like once they adopt that and see how easy it is, 
they continue using the yeah. digital platform and it, and it becomes uh, simpler and more efficient. Very good. And now we also have CSX yeah. that, that came out and you're the expert on the rails around here. So <laughs> <laughs> not the expert on the rails. Relative. relative. Re- relative. Um, it's all relative. <laughs> you know, I think with CSX, it's, it's really, you, they guided for flat to uh, 2% growth in revenue for 2020. Um, a little bit higher operating ratio in 2020 than 2019. So this is really probably one of the, the later stage uh, PSR stories among the class one rails right now. Um, the, uh, the other thing I'll say is that they are, are still sort of saying that they're not interested in bringing intermodal rates down to try to grow those volumes aggressively. The, the, they're not really interested in competing with, with trucking. Um, and I think, you know, some analysts were kind of giving them a hard time saying that like, look, like, you know, is how much more is intermodal going to grow? Has intermodal growth peaked? Is it slowing down? Um, with, with, as the transportation network in North America kind of shifts to shorter transit times, shorter lengths of haul, uh, better service, uh, 24 seven visibility, how do you keep, how do you sell intermodal if you're not going to move on price? Um, and I don't really think that management had a great answer for that. And we'll just see at what point the, the market kind of forces them to, to try to grow volumes again. Very good. Very interesting. Uh, now we'll, we'll switch over to uh, the DHL supply chain pricing power index. We talked a little bit about capacity uh, earlier from the, the JB Hunt earnings call. And we left it the same at 40. Andrew, you want to explain how we determine that for our new listeners? Uh, sure. So, you know, we've got a, a range from zero to 100, 100 being full power to the shippers, uh, meaning they control all of the pricing power in, in, in negotiations uh, with the carriers and 100 being all the power to the carriers. Uh, we started this about four months ago and it was, uh, you know, like 40, 45, fell all the way down to 15, which uh, which would be most of the power to the shippers there before Christmas. Uh, and then a strong seasonal run uh, through Christmas has, has kept us up uh, at 40 uh, currently. Uh, and yeah, the reason that we didn't change it this week was because we're, we are seeing capacity tighten, uh, you know, seven and a half on our outbound tender rejection index is higher than you know, nine or 10 of the months. Most, most of the year, uh, yeah. Yeah, so good. And uh, and volumes are, you know, year over year about the same. Uh, they're, right. They've been relatively flat um, since the beginning of the year. Um, so yeah, volumes are in, are in as good a shape as they were last year and, and rejections are higher. So we think that gives uh, carriers a little bit more a little bit more pricing power than they would have had this time last year. And you can see the, 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 the full gauge and or article on FreightWaves.com on the main page. It's right down on the right-hand right, yeah. side, just below the top stories. And I, there are some, you know, people who are kind of bearish on, on trucking for, for 2020. But if you look at those two numbers that Andrew just cited, the fact that volumes are flat, I think they're up like literally like 30 basis points, like 0.3% above 2019, so flat. Yet tender rejections are meaningfully higher you know, you understand that it's not that it, things are tighter because of a surge in volume. It has to be on the capacity side. And so we're finally getting that process where enough carriers have exited the market, where people aren't buying new trucks, things like that. You know, we saw the drop off in used truck prices starting in October. Like, I mean, that's like, that's just a simple math equation. Like if volumes are flat and it's capacity is tighter, it must be because there's fewer trucks. Yeah, and then you, you wrote about the used truck prices this week in, in one of your passport research yeah. reports, right? Yeah. In our last yeah. uh, our last survey that we did of carriers, we asked them, you know, what are their expectations for how many trucks they're going to add? And this has been like a reoccurring theme that they're always like, yeah, the biggest problem is overcapacity, but we're adding 25% more trucks. That finally reversed the last two times we've done it. They've yeah. they said they're going to keep their fleet the same. So, yeah, I think we're finally having a point at which some of the capacity is churning. Yeah out of the market. I think you have the, those natural supply and demand fundamentals. And I, I think there's some regulations that that have hit in January that uh, is kind of bullish on capacity leaving the market, or at least qualified drivers reducing that pool with both the drug clearinghouse and, you know, the, the FMCSA is now going to double from 25% random testing to, to 50% random testing, which right. I think... Right. We'll pull enough capacity or, or qualified drivers out of the market to at least have 
uh, have a positive impact on on tightening capacity rates. So I, I think it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be a much different market in 2020 as we progress through and, these these you know the the first quarter, which is always pretty horrid. And it's a quite and you know the spot rates are are and rejections are quite sensitive to change to relative imbalances in capacity and and demand. It's not like okay, capacity has to come down by 10% for rates to go up by 10%. It's, right. It takes, it's very... Exponential. Think, think about it as like it, it the, the gas market. Asymmetric. You know, like a, we, we, exactly. have, we have a possibility that 5% of the uh, oil gets cut off for two weeks with the with the, with the the bombings in Iran and all of a sudden gas prices jump, you know, 30%. Double, tri- you know, yeah, I mean, I mean it'd, it'd be a huge, much, 5%, right? So if, if you're looking at like 1% or 2% adjustment in, adjustment in capacity, could be a, a thirty or forty percent climb in rates. Yeah, it could. Yeah, make a big or difference. maybe. Yeah, maybe that's but a little larger, bit too yeah. too. But, but, but maybe twenty percent, right? Right. And twenty percent coming off a dollar fifty is not really all that that much. I mean, I guess it is. Well, for you know, and that kind of leads us in actually a little bit to the segment uh, about our newest uh, our newest data set in sonars. It does, yeah. You know, the there are paper thin rates in this uh, razor thin in this industry, um, but we have a new do- sonar data set that our that our data teams put together, and it's the overnight wholesale fuel change fuel price change. Uh, and, and more or less what this does is, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the difference between rack and retail prices, but these large carriers, they buy uh, they buy gas at rack prices. So they don't really care what the retail price is at the pump because they're buying it from, from a wholesale uh, dealership. And now we have created a model that can predict with 90% accuracy what the overnight change in that price could be. So, uh, Kevin, you want to tell why that's important or somebody, one of y'all want to add to why that's important? Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll let JP run with this one. Okay, so basically, um, if you know, so our data scientists looked at correlations between how uh, WTI, West Texas Intermediate crude oil futures contracts trade, and then how wholesale diesel markets react to that on an overnight basis. And wholesale diesel is sold at what's called the rack, which is where uh, essentially the tanker trucks fill up to then go to gas stations and fuel stations to fill those up. Um, and of course, you know, like Andrew said, large carriers tend to buy uh, diesel fuel sort of on the rack price, discounted above or, or below that. And basically what this tool does is say, okay, um, based on what happened in the WTI futures market, this is what's going to happen to wholesale diesel in these markets overnight. And basically, and so then if you know that you have a truck and, you know, based on the origin destination pair, it's going through these six markets. And you can see that one of these markets is going to have much lower diesel prices tomorrow than all the other ones. You can kind of tell your truck, hey, wait, you know, fill up here early or wait until this market to fill up or whatever the case may be so that you're always taking advantage of those intraday moves, um, you know, kind of in an intelligent way. And, and yeah, and you're, you're saving you know, pennies on a gallon. But if you do that over and over, you know, if you do that every day times every truck in your fleet, then it adds up to a significant amount of money. And we estimate it's essentially, you know, if you if you can pull this off, like the average uh, cost savings would be somewhere around 3% of your, your fuel spend um, while still largely leaving uh, the fuel managers in control of sort of which, you know, fuel or sorry, which uh, truck stop chain you know, they want to give gallons to. So it's kind of a win-win for for all all the stakeholders in those kind of in those de- purchasing decisions, and um, we're, we're super excited about it. Um, just because we think anything that we can do to help improve the operating ratio of of the assets moving all these goods is is great for the country, you know, great for the economy, and it's you know great for us too. Definitely. Uh, you looking around? You okay? Yeah, no, no, go, go, go ahead. Okay. I, I'm, I'm getting That's things from, from our producers, so uh-huh. uh, working on, on that. So All right. Uh, so you guys want to move on to long short? We got our last segment. Sure. Cool with that? Yeah. All right. So uh, we have two today, normal long short. Uh, the first one is the online mattress retailer Casper. There is uh, a lot of uh, there's a lot of buzz around a, a possible IPO. They filed uh, they filed for IPO just a couple weeks ago. Had to release their S one in doing so in their last three years of uh, of, of of balance sheets and and P and L. So uh, I'll start with you, Kevin. Uh, yeah, Casper 
are you long or short Casper um, moving forward? I am short because I, I don't know too much about Casper, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, you're, there, there's, there, there's nothing quite unique about it. It's, it's more brand driven, I think. I guess I should have given a little bit more uh, facts about what Casper does. Yeah. They, 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 they market e-commerce direct to consumer uh, mattresses. They started, uh, I don't know, five or six years ago. They've got, they're worth roughly uh, $1 billion uh, in the private markets. Uh, but, you know, they have a lot. Um, they share a lot of the characteristics of these underperforming tech IPOs in 2019. They've got massive aspirations of taking over the sleep economy. Uh, they uh, they have huge losses. And it it kind of reminds me of, of, of Peloton, right? So, so Peloton can be a great product. It's a great system. We talked about it last week on our, our episode on, on Long Short. It, it can be great, but it's not a software company. It doesn't command 10 times revenue as a multiple. Which I think probably Casper is is trying to do as well. Am I? Yeah, you're close. I, I'm, I'm close, right? So eight, ten, ten times multiple for selling mattresses. I just know it's like selling exercise bikes and saying every dollar of sales I get no, uh, is it's worth not, ten it's times. Not, it's not a mattress. It's, it's a platform. Yeah. It's a platform. So, yeah, mattress is a service. A mats. The uh, the follow up question is: Are you are sleep you as a service? The- Sleep, Sleep as a service. service. They, you know, they do actually, they sell, uh, they have a place in New York called the Dreamery where you can come and pay 25 bucks to sleep on one of their mattresses for an hour. Right, so, the, so what they do is... So that's great, the, the, but there's no, no worth no, 10 times no, revenue. No, they, they put electronics in the mattresses, they sell you an app, then they got data services and analytics on your sleep, and they roll it into a subscription... You can see where they're. I, I see to the where moon. they're going. I, I, to the moon. To the moon. Are you, but like, are you short? To, are you short the whole online mattress industry, or are you short Casper in particular? I, I'm short any company that's not really a technology company who gets ten times revenue. Let's just put it that way. JP, we'll tell you. Um, so I I heard in their S one that they predict that the sleep economy is is growing six and a half percent compounded annually, which means that by 2030 I should be sleeping like 15 hours a night. So I'm along that, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy, I'm, I'm just, an, I'm a kind of a basic guy. I don't really think too hard about my mattresses. I don't, I don't buy spend, that many of a, them. You spend a third of your life on it. I think you should. I, 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 I live in a furnished what? apartment. I care less about mattresses yeah. or buying mattresses. Right. Right? I'm, I'm tired enough that I can pretty much fall asleep at the end of it. That's how much I hate buying furniture. I lived in a, fur, I, I live in a furnished apartment. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm short Casper. Um, okay, so I got a couple thoughts. I'm long the online mattress industry, but I'm short uh, Casper. And I'll give a couple reasons. I'm long the online mattress industry because, ironically, it's never been a comfortable process to go buy a mattress. Like, you just have sleazy people trying to sell you mattresses. and It's just never been all that comfortable. Uh, but... <laughs> but I, but no, no, it, it is. I've done it like once in my life. I barely remember. I've, well, I've had to do it. I've, I've did it once on my own. I've done it twice with my parents. They, they buy mattresses pretty often. But... Uh, they, uh, my, my problem with Casper is there's no road to profitability. Like their unit economics are, are terrible. Uh, Pur- Purple, another, uh, another public company doing the very similar thing. They're already turning a profit. They have a much higher uh, price on their mattresses. Uh, but my biggest problem is that they, they have this 100 day free return. So you can sleep on it for up to 100 days, send it back for free. But it's illegal to resell those mar- mattresses as new. So they just have to get rid of them. They, they lose all uh, market. Can't you buy used mattresses? You can, but they have to be sold as used. You, 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 they can't read. They don't, but they don't sell used mattresses that they think that'll tarnish their brand. So they only sell new mattresses and they just donate those mattresses to charities if they can, huh. but not often can they because there's 175 online mattress sellers doing the same thing. So they flooded the, 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 the local charities with mattresses. And another, don't want a, another drawback to the used mattresses is a lot of like Goodwill will not take any mattresses, any kind of, well, I won't say any chairs like that, but there's a lot of places that, that you can't donate used mattresses because of the, the bed bug epidemics in, in a lot of places. So they, they just refuse it outright. So if you go buy it, Buy a mattress, sleep on it for a hundred days, and decide. Yeah, I don't think this is mine. Then that's that's a problem. I don't know. It just seems like a big old waste. It just seems <laughs> like it, similar to Peloton. It's like it seems like a, an okay like product and like a cool like yeah. distribution model, but not like the basis for like a whole company that can just grow on this one kind of like 
relatively small innovation. Well, I think they're gonna. Yeah. I think they're gonna try to just like Peloton get into other things. They want to make the pillows and they want to make the duvets and they want to sell nightstands and beds. Analytics. I swear to God, dude. That's <laughs> what think, it's going to be. You think it's going to get there? Yeah, yeah. Plug, no, it's your, gonna plug it your phone up. It has a has an outlet, you know, yeah. whole thing built in. Yeah. Uh, maybe so. I don't know. So, so yeah. I mean, if you're not a technology company and you're trying to get 10 times revenue, I'm short. Okay. I, I might sleep on that mattress, but I'm short. After 100 days. <laughs> After 100 days, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll send it back and get another one for another 100 days. Right? That's, that's how you game the system. <laughs> and I'll have XPO come deliver it to me. Yeah, you probably will. <laughs> uh, okay, last long shorts. Uh, we've been doing this little sports thing to finish it off. Uh, we'll keep it going. The last sports uh, long short is, is the MLB, are you longer short the MLB making the 2017 World Series champion Astros forfeit their World Series championship? They have. I don't know if you've been. Kept, Why would kept, they do that? Well, they've been. They've been caught. They were, they were cheating. They were stealing signs the entire year while they were. Oh home. yeah. They had technology. They were using cameras. Uh, and then as soon as they would throw a, a change up or a curveball, they'd hit a bucket. Uh, or there's now been even accusations that they've got a buzzer on that tells them that buzzes them. So they just lay off every bad pitch, and then they they hit like, uh, they hit much higher at home than they do away. Uh, they it's won more, way more games at home than anyone else. It's weird because I just remember this. The GM that they hired away from the, the St. Louis Cardinals that was the GM during the World Series years that they, they recently fired had this big thing with – I think he took a lot of data uh, from St. Louis – to Houston, I, I think that's I there was some AJ controversy. Hinch. AJ Hinch, yeah. Are they in the same division? Uh, no, both in the NL. They, they were both in the they're NL. The now division. they're not in the same division, but they the fired AJ Hinch. Uh, their their GM uh, and their uh, the, and their, manager. their manager. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, Alex Cora got caught up with it. He was the manager of the Boston Red Sox. He got fired. Carlos Beltran, who was uh, a player on that, got hired back at the New York Mets, which is. Maybe the greatest team ever. Yeah, okay. Well, he got anyway. canned too. Anyway, he got canned too before he even managed the game. So, wow. and they haven't, yeah. even, but they haven't started going after the players yet. They think the players are definitely palpable, and they that they are going to be uh, that there's going to be some trouble for a lot of these players. But they haven't even started going after them yet. Um, so, so long short, do you think that MLB will, they, will do if, anything about either the players or the the championship, the, the World Series? Back, you know, in maybe somebody has already done this, but like if like some statistician, like baseball nerd at Grantland, like proves that there's no way they could have won the World Series without cheating, then they should forfeit. Okay, that's fair. So you're, you're long the idea that they have to forfeit it. How about you, Kyle? You know what? I, I'm I'm kind of long the idea they have to. It depends on how much cheating there was. You have the Black Sox scandal from over 100 years ago now. And they came down very hard on those guys. Uh, I know they were betting on the games. I guess maybe, uh, who knows about Houston. Uh, but but certainly mechanized cheating. I, I think they probably should. You know, I on the player side, um, you know, I like Jose Altuve. He's yeah. like one of my favorite players, and he's really in the middle of this thing. Yeah, uh, Carlos Beltran, not so much. You know, he was, he was a great player, but I still remember being in the stands at Game 7 against the Cardinals in 2006 with the bases loaded and that curveball going by him, 3-2 and two pitch. He watched it go by into the Mets season. One of the, the, the most silent number 7 train rides from Shea back to Manhattan. It was it an was eerie, eerie experience. So, uh, you know, I, I think they should probably go after the, the ringleaders. Long. Long. Uh, I'm just going to go opposite because you guys went long. I, I think they might give it up, but I don't think they will. I, I think they'll let them keep it. Uh, I think, you know, firing everybody on the staff, and, and they've already given them one-year suspensions or two-year suspensions. So I think they will pay their debts uh, to the game. I don't think baseball will actually go after them. Yeah, I, there's I just, too many superstars involved for yeah, I don't for, for them to actually yeah, go they, after they, them. The Astros are like one of the best teams in the, in the in the league. They've got so many young stars. I don't think they're going to take them out of the game for a year. And the saddest part about it, that 2017 World Series against the Dodgers to Game Seven was one of the the best World Series that they've had in 30 years. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a good year. For, it's been a good couple years. A lot of young talent yeah. in baseball. Yeah, Braves going to have another good year. That they are. Yeah. That they they definitely are taking the pennant this year. So, and the Mets are going to have another good year. I don't know about that. Well, they? I don't know. But they need to find a manager first yeah. and an owner. That's true. So, so owner manager. They're they're looking for a lot of different different holes. Maybe Jonas Suspedes. I can't even say his name. Yeah, that was that was a struggle. Yeah, I know that was a struggle. <laughs> but anyway, maybe he'll be back if he comes back. They they might go after the Braves, but. Who knows? Uh, but we're out of time now. Yep. JP, thanks for hanging out yeah. with us, man. JP, thanks for having me. Thanks as always. Yeah. 
and go to uh, FreightWaves.com slash Passport to find out about all the package deals on Passport Research that we all contribute to and yeah. those 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 tickets to our, our amazing live events in Atlanta. And I think we're going to do, what, Fort Worth on on the, the fall in 2020 in November. But we'll see. So right. uh, that wraps it up. Have a great week. And you can always find us at FreightWaves.com. Great quarter guys. And I forgot to do the outro music, so I'll do that right now. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andrew.